24 Cross Media. We are back, G-Mac and Winnie coming at you with Ed Marinaro, also known as Coach, Coach Marty, Marty Daniels. Daniels. Amongst many others. Amongst many others. Uh, yeah. Ed, how's it going? Go, going good. I haven't heard that theme song in a while. <laughs> good. I th- I'll probably get uh, residuals for that. Nice. There you go. There's always a positive. Where this is our first event, our first uh, foray into the video uh, recording for our podcast. So happy to have I, you I, on I, and happy. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> get this thing up and going. Yep. Good things come to those who wait, and we got you. You're a good thing today. So uh, I, we were just talking a little bit off camera. You played some golf yesterday. It's getting warm down in the low country. Uh, and it's probably just going to kick up now for the next few months and get really warm. But you're going to continue to play your golf. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it, heat's not going to stop me. Um, you know, I live down in Charleston, South Carolina. We have eight months of great weather. Winter time, it can get it can get a little cold, windy. You know, right on the water. So it's uh, playing golf when it's fifty and windy. It sucks. I, I you know, I'm. I've, I feel like I'm back up in Minnesota. <laughs> but uh, summertime, July, August gets real hot and uh, humid. And, you know, I still get out there. But, you know, I, I, I only play with doctors just in case I have a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can save a stroke too, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know what? It's great. I, you know, I've lived all over the country. Not really. I, I lived in I lived in Los Angeles for thirty five years before I moved to Charleston ten years ago. From New York, New Jersey, went to college in Ithaca. Played four years with Vikings up in Minnesota. So I've experienced an array of, uh, of different climates. Um, thirty five years in L.A. where the California where the weather's pretty much perfect all year round it um i think that's the reason i think a lot of california's part of their brain is smooth because they uh they, they never developed any ability to adapt <laughs> yeah uh we do have something a little bit in common uh your son's a quarterback yes and committed to cornell and committed to cornell and i have a daughter that's at ithaca college right across the hill <laughs> oh wow yeah yeah, I was when I was looking at him, I'm like, wow, his son committed to Cornell where you played, and uh, my daughter's just on the other hill. It's and pretty amazing. Keep her away from my son. <laughs> and her major... Uh... Her major's uh, athletic training. Is it really? Yeah, and she's assigned to the football team in the fall, so it's pretty cool. That's great school. I mean, it's uh, it's got a great uh, broadcasting program. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. And where are you guys... Where are you guys... Where are you right now? Saugerties. Saugerties, New York. All right. We're about 100 miles north of New York City. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Uh, in the Catskill Mountains. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, you were um, you were running, obviously running back. Um, your son's committed to play quarterback, though, right? Right. 
And I had seen a couple interviews you've done recently. Um, it, it had to have been tough, for, you know, for him, you know, with the whole COVID time. Did they miss a season down there? Because up here, like our local high school, they didn't play at all this year. Well, we were we were lucky. We played. We got to play seven games, and we would have played more had we won our last game. We would have been in the playoffs, so we could have played as many as I think maybe ten games. But we did play seven games. You know, it was. It, you can imagine it was a tough, tough year for these high school athletes. We couldn't go to any of the uh, the evaluation camps. This past summer, no coaches, uh, you know, he, my son is, a, is really a good athlete. Um, I'd say he's a great athlete. And, and you know, he, uh, we had a lot of schools contact us, and, and then it just all stopped. They, they couldn't come visit. We couldn't go visit them. Uh, so it, it, was, it was really kind of um, stressful because, you know, I wanted him to, you know, be able to take advantage of uh, – you know, his, you know, being able to have some, some really diverse choices as far as colleges. Um, but we, we were lucky enough to have seven games. And I, you know, I told him, I said, Eddie, you, um, all we need is 20 plays. We need 20 great plays. And um, we can put it up on, you know, that huddle mm-hmm. yep. website and, and he had he had a ton of great plays, and so I think that helped us. But it, you know, the the whole recruiting process, from what I understand, the, the coaches were, um, you know, they 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 didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know if they were going to even have. Some thought they might play in the spring. Some thought they might at some point they start to play. So it was just a, a just a mess, and we were so lucky that. Um, my, you know, we, we, the, our coaches at Cornell, uh, Dave Archer, you know, he, uh, he's been watching my son for, you know, a long time. And when we had, when we found out that we, uh, we could get into Cornell, it was, took a lot of pressure off us because again, we, we didn't have much going on and, you know, the, we had an option of maybe going to prep school for a year, which I really didn't want him to do. Um, so at the end of the day, we probably got the best situation we could have even dreamt about. You know, I mean, I wanted him to go to a good college. You know, I wanted him to, you know, I, I obviously, you know, Ivy League is, is uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty prestigious uh, place to go to college. And I knew that when I was 18 years old in high school. I was, I was recruited. I probably had... 30 or 40 football scholarships to some big colleges, you know, Penn State, um, Wake Forest, Duke. I had basketball scholarships. Um, and I only applied to three colleges, and they were all Ivy League schools. And so, you know, I knew the I knew what it meant in the long term, which is probably, you know, I wasn't even – I'm not flattering myself. I wasn't that mature. I was probably more of a snob appeal. Um but, um, yeah, I mean, and, and, and I think he sort of over the years has seen through being with me and the people that I went to, my, my ex-teammates, my ex-classmates, you know, what, what uh, that kind of experience uh, in the Ivy League, what, what, it, what it will ultimately mean. And, and he's, he's in the Industrial Labor Relations School, which is a great school. I think uh, um, 
I know the uh, commissioner of the NHL is a is an ILR guy. Uh, I think the baseball commissioner is an ILR guy from Cornell, and the president of ESPN is an ILR guy. He's <laughs> in yeah. some good companies. Yeah, yeah. So Gary Bettman from. Uh, from oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a. He, I got to be friendly with him. Anyway, so it 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 all worked out. Um, I wish he was going to be closer because I got to go up to Ithaca to watch him play. <sighs> you know, that's not an easy from. That's no. a haul. That's a haul from down there. It yeah. must be better to fly into Syracuse and drive over. Yeah, no, you know, I can actually fly right into Ithaca. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we go through Philly and Philly right into Ithaca. So it's not, it's doable, but, you know, it's, uh, look, I don't know what's going to happen. He's going to be a freshman. I, you know, it's going to be, and again, it's going to be interesting because they're going to have two freshman classes because they didn't play last year. Oh, that's right. All right, yeah. We're also going to have kids who were, um, a lot of the seniors, a lot of the seniors are stuck around. Right. So, there's going to be a lot of players out there. You know? <laughs> That's for yeah. sure. Now, do they have a JV team? Uh, I think they try to play JV games, but um, I don't know if they have a you know an official JV team. But and that's too bad. I mean, this would be a perfect. They might even be encouraged to do that this year because. You know, they just got so many guys that they want to let them play. And, I, you know, I, I think the last I heard, they're going to have like 130 guys on the uh Wow. That's a lot. Now, that sounds like a lot, right? My freshman year at Cornell, we had 129 guys try out for the freshman football team. Damn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had to practice we had to divide the squad in half. Half the players practice in the morning, the other half in the afternoon. We didn't have enough jersey numbers. And, um, you know, we, nobody gets scholarships, athletic scholarships. So, you know, I, I've said this before. I think there were a lot of guys who came out for the football team who never played high school football. I think they just wanted to do an activity on campus. Um, so they chose football. That, that's supposed to be a joke, guys. <laughs> yeah, you don't, I, I, you don't you, choose you football. You can't just choose that, yeah. Uh, maybe they thought it was flag football. Oh, I don't know. But it, it was, you know, it, 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 it whittled down to, you know, we had uh, probably ended up with 60 guys or whatever. So, you know, it, it, the the, uh, the rate, the diminishing uh, team numbers was, was pretty quick. Now, how, how many did you guys travel with when you went to away games? I don't remember. That. Don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you you didn't have to worry about it. You were the guy. So you know what? I wasn't the guy my freshman year. I I was, I was, um, you know, I, I was the star. I, I think I led the team in touchdowns. We played five or six games as freshmen. We had a freshman team, so um, you know, and I was the leading rusher or whatever. But it, it all changed for me my sophomore year when they changed the offense and it wasn't because of me, but they, uh, our coaches decided they wanted to do something different. And in fact, they went to university of Indiana when Johnny Pont was the head coach and, uh, they ran this deep eye formation 
and they went there and spent time and saw how it worked and came back and um, uh, that was our offense and it just suited my my style uh, to a T and you know it was uh, you know I never got down in a three point stance in four years three years of varsity football I you know, I would line up eight yards behind the line of scrimmage, and they turn around and give me the ball, and I just run where I saw you know. <laughs> some daylight. Yeah, no, and you know, I got a pretty good head of steam going. So it was, I mean, that was the game changer for me. Um, the year before, the leading ground gainer on the varsity was, um, I think, he gained just under five hundred yards, and. Uh, I, I had 900 after four games. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was a, you know, it was a, a big difference. And, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, that, that's, that's kind of like, you know, people don't really look into, you know, I was just talking to a friend of mine, how serendipitous life can be and how lucky you have to be to, to be in the right place at the right time. And in fact, I was just on the phone before I talked to you guys with, with a buddy of mine who played at Cornell with me, who transferred from West Point to Cornell and he was a running back and he had to sit out a year. And the year that he sat out was my sophomore year. Um, and you know, I, I, I was second in the country in rushing, I gained, you know, 1400 yards or something. And he, he, he was telling me, he goes, well, I, I'm not the running back. I know that. You know? <laughs> so he had to change positions. But, you know, he was a really good, fast kid. And, and you know, you think of a series of events that, that sort of changed his life, changed my life. And, you know, you, especially in sports, you have to be – you have to really kind of get lucky. You can have – there's so many guys who've played sports who, if put in the right position, could have been great. I mean, there's guys every year you see guys, you know, who are second string guys and somebody gets hurt and then they turn out to be, you know, all pro. Or Tom whatever. Brady. <laughs> you know, Tom Brady's a perfect example. I use that example all the time, but it's so, you know, and then you see guys, you never know who could have been that guy. Yeah. And it's really, it has nothing to do, you know, I've, I've had to defend my pro career. Um, you know, they, they've called it everything, you know, disappointing is the, the word they use the most. But, um, you know, I went to the Minnesota Vikings and I was, a, you know, second round pick running back, leading ground gainer in college football history they turned me into a blocker and a pass receiver. I, I caught 11 passes in my whole career in college. I caught 11 in one game with the, with the <laughs> right. And, 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 and they had me blocking, blocking. That was, that's the hardest thing I've ever tried to do in my athletic career. You know, when you didn't know what you're doing, these guys don't want to be blocked and they were big and strong and, and, and I didn't know how to do it. And, and, and I, I guess I became good enough because that's all I was doing. And uh, that's why my body's so battered right now. Not from carrying the ball, from trying to block these big son of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> now, in, in those practices, you had to go against the purple people eaters, right? 
Yes, yes, yes. They uh, they were uh, formidable practice foes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> we did. We didn't. Obviously, we didn't go hard. But one thing about Grant was Bud. Bud made. He, he, we were hungry by the time we played the game. You know, he he didn't believe in hitting. You know, during practice, even during training camp, we rarely had. You know, full contact. The, the only thing we. The only we ever did, even during training camp, was uh, at the end of practice, we'd probably spend 10 minutes running goal line, and that was live. Um, otherwise, we never, you know, we were hitting dummies. We weren't hitting each other, and, and that was uh, and that was, that was good. We didn't go into training camp until 10 days before our first exhibition game, and, you know, there were teams who were going in like a month. Right. So, you know, he, he, was, he knew he was dealing with a bunch of uh, – you know, veteran guys when I was there. Plus, he didn't want it to interfere with his duck hunting season. <laughs> <laughs> For anybody who would say, you know, a six-year, seven-year NFL career, playing the hand you were dealt, you went from being a primary ball carrier to now you're learning to block and be a receiver out of the backfield. To say it's a disappointment, listen, I, I challenge anyone to last in the NFL for that long. So that's playing two Super Bowls. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, again, it was being in the, they, 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 to be honest, they broke my spirits in Minnesota a little bit. You know, they had me doubting myself because, um, you know, that my running style just did not fit in the first game I started, uh, was, the sixth game of the season, my rookie year, played the Green Bay Packers in, in Lambeau. And I gained 80 yards on 19 touches, okay, which was the most of a Viking running back in the first six games. And this is my first start. They read my ass out the, and during the films. It, it, was like, it, it was like I fumbled four times or something. They didn't, um, you know, they didn't like the way I ran the ball. They said, they said, run to the hole, run to the hole. And, and I, if I didn't see the hole, I was, I was going over here, you know, going over there. Right. I was over the place and I gained 80 yards and I scored a touchdown, I think. So they had me doubting my instincts and it really hurt me, um, through my whole career. That's why I ultimately, I left the Vikings. I was, uh. A lot of people don't know this, but in 1975, there was a rule that was declared unconstitutional called the Roselle Rule, and which made it really almost impossible for players who played out their options to go to another team, even though their contract was up. What they had to do, we had to play one year additionally at, at a 10% pay cut. And, and I did. My fourth year with the Vikings – which is funny because I started 15 games and, and, you know, had a really good season. And I made 10% less than the year before. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, I became a free agent. And because they declared this Roselle rule, there was, I think um, that's when John Riggins left the Jets and went to Washington and Calvin Hill left the um, <clears throat> Cowboys and went to the Browns, I think. And I went to the Jets. And, you know, after a few games, they finally uh, 
the Jets let me run the ball, and then Joe Willie was the Joe Namath was the quarterback, and Joe and I were buddies. So Joe didn't hesitate giving me the ball. Now Fran Tarkenton, who was the quarterback of the Vikings, I like Fran, but Fran and I we butted heads a little bit. I was this little rookie, and you know he he didn't think I was as good as I thought I was, and uh, it, it was it was it was a little bit of a, a problem, and. He just wouldn't give me the ball. Um, and then uh, we, of course, we had Chuck Foreman, who was a great player. But, you know, I, I think I could, you know, I could have been as just effective in a different way. But anyway, so I go to the to the Jets. And after, like, first few games, uh, they start to let me run the ball. And I had back-to-back 100-yard rushing games uh, against, I think that was 111 yards against the 49ers and 120 against the Bills. And, you know, if 100 yards is the barometer for a good running back, I did it. Right. And I was, I was leading the team. I was actually leading the Jets in scoring, rushing, and receiving. And then we went up to New England Monday Night Football, and I got a really bad foot injury, and it's pretty much ended my career. But at least I know for two weeks that I was, you know, no, nobody remembers that. But it, it, that's why I know that I could have been a better running back and it speaks to what we were talking about earlier you know you gotta be in the right place and so you know I, I don't I don't try to defend my my career in the NFL but I uh, I know people don't look at it the same way that I look at it because I know you know in different circumstances I could have been you know a bigger player in the NFL yeah it's 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 some uh you know, it's it's a hard thing to do because you know how what your own worth and you know what you how good you really were inside, and then you got to battle. And you see that that square peg round hole syn, uh, syndrome happen all over sports to where, like you said, a guy gets a, a different a chance on a different team in a different system, and boom, they flourish. You know, but that's sports. That's also life. It yeah. is. It yeah. is absolutely. I mean, the, the, you know the the wonderful thing about life is. Yeah. You know, talent is is uh, is important. Okay, but there's an old saying that you know every old football coach used to say is, uh, "Luck is when preparation meets opportunity." And it's so true because you know you see it, it, most successful people were really prepared when they got the shot. Okay. Right. You can never count on getting the shot, but you can always count on being prepared. So, you know, it, it gives you hope because you never know when that stroke of luck is going to happen. You know, and, and even at this stage in my life, you know, I'm still, you know, I'm still working as an actor. I, you know, I get parts here and there, which are kind of fun. I don't have to work, fortunately, um, but I enjoy doing it. I don't enjoy it as much as I used to. Um, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, the older I've gotten, the harder it is to get up early. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. When, and when did acting become it, something you were interested in? And I don't get lo- do get love scenes with like really hot chicks anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're, you're totally I out mean, there. Coach Marty Daniels did though. <laughs> oh, Marty, Marty, that is good. that's the best <laughs> ever had it, man. That was <laughs> I felt sorry for these poor girls uh, who had to do these scenes with me. I felt like their father, you know. But um, 
Yeah. So I, you know, I, 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 you know, keep, I keep fooling them and get jobs and stuff and it's always fun. Um, but it's, it's sort of exciting because, you know, you never know when, how, or when it's going to happen. You know, you, you know, I look on my phone and, you know, all of a sudden I get a little email from my agents and they go, they want to meet with you about this. And it's, you know, it's, it's validating when you've been doing it as long as I've been doing it and to have, you know, still want to hire you. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's not like most professions, you know, I, I can, I can keep doing it as long as I can remember my lines and I don't die. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did see an interview. Uh, you would said that early on, you always stayed in great shape because you were the guy they were going to bring in to be shirtless doing a role. Um, how did you, what was your first foray? I mean, what was your first opportunity with acting? How did it come about? Uh, well, let me see. This is, this is kind of fun story. I was in LA with Namath hanging out, you know, and, uh, meeting a lot of people. Cause Joe, you know, Joe had been doing movies and TV and stuff. And so we, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm out there for a week or so, and then back in New York, and Joe's uh, partner, lawyer, manager, uh, got a call from an agent in Hollywood, who I guess I'd met when I was there, and wanted to see if I would want to do a screen test to replace Lee Majors in The Six Million Dollar Man. Oh, wow. And yeah. because, no, well, he was, I mean, he was, it was a contract, you know, dispute he wanted more money and they were like trying to scare him by bringing in you know chunks like me you know <laughs> so uh so anyway so i did uh i said yeah why not so i i did uh you know they sent a contract for me to you know when you do a screen test you sign your contract before you do the screen test just so they know they have you uh if they give you the part which is um you know, kind of interesting, but, um, I remember just as, as I said, I gained, I, I took a 10% pay cut in 1975. Um, I've made $25,200 in the whole season to let big guys jump on me, <laughs> step on me, punch me in the face and do all that stuff. Now, if I got this role as the $6 million man, I was going to make $10,000 an episode for 22 episodes. So it was pretty much 10 times what I was making as a football player. Now I was in the, only in the hotel school at Cornell, but I could do the math <laughs> I knew that, that this is, uh, and I said, let's do it. So they flew me out. I did the screen test. He Obviously, he came back to the show, but it, it got me, you know, kind of interested. I said, you know, I was, how old was I? I was probably 26 years old, single, you know, had no real responsibility. So I, I spent that off season in L.A., and I got in an acting class a workshop and i was in a workshop for a couple months then i went back to new york to play with the jets and i got in a workshop in new york and then um 
then I got hurt. So I kind of focused on getting healthy again. And then finally my career, when my career was over, I played one year with the Seahawks uh, in 77. It was the second year of the team. And I, uh, the, the head coach was uh, actually the head coach was the defensive line coach for the Vikings who coached the purple people leaders, Jack Patera. And uh, he, uh, he needed a running back. They flew me out to Seattle. They worked me out. And I got this place the last seven games with the Seahawks, which was good because it got me a year more on my retirement pension. I played one play in seven games. <laughs> it was a kickoff that went out of the end zone, so I didn't even get to hit anybody. But I was on the team. And then um, I was going to retire, and I didn't feel I had much of a future in Seattle. Um we, in fact, we, they even talked about moving me to tight end, which would have probably been a good move. Anyway, so I, I you know, I uh, called around and see who, uh, what might be a good place for me to, you know, sign. And I signed with the Chicago Bears in 77. I went to training camp with, with them. Walter Payton was, you know, a running back on that team. And, and Neil Armstrong was the head coach who was the defensive coordinator for the Vikings when I was there. So he signed me, and Jim Finks was the general manager of the Vikings. When, so anyway, so I went to training camp and got released the last cut, and then I just said, you know, I'm done. Went to Hollywood, got an apartment, and got in another acting class. And, and um, you know, I, it took me probably maybe two years before I really got my, you know, got anything meaningful to do, like as far as an actor, but it was, it was fun back then, you know, it, it, back then it was different. It wasn't, I call it the, the, today it's the American Idol syndrome. People expect to be rich and famous in four weeks. You know, back in my day, you know, I put in the time and, and I enjoyed it. I got pretty good at, you know, acting and was around actors, really good actors and, you know, it was a, a gradually, and then I got a, my first TV series, then it was just off and running, and it was, uh, it was a great, uh, it's been a great life. Yeah, I mean, we see, uh, you look through your, um, some of the smaller jobs you had, like Laverne and Shirley, that, you know, that, that was a, that's That's where I, actually, I honestly first remember you being an actor on was Laverne and Shirley. There's no small jobs. They're only small actors. Remember that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they tell you. That's what they tell you from the beginning. No small parts, just small actors. And then, and then when I would, told my mom who we were interviewing, she's like, oh, I remember him on Hill Street Blues. That's right. I'm like, settle down, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> and what's, it's, what's fun is it's, you transcend generations here because my son's 20, my older son's 25, and he saw that we were interviewing you this week, and he's like, oh, Marty Daniels, you finally got somebody I like. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you definitely transcend generations with that. How fun was doing the Blue role Mountain of a State. head coach with Blue Mountain State? Yeah. You know, um, it, was, it was a great time in my life uh, for several reasons. I mean, it was <sighs> – you know, to sort of be, be to this day, 
I mean, I can't go anywhere where my, my fan base is 18 years old, <laughs> which is, no, I mean, which is uh, the kids now, my son's age. Yeah. And if you go, pay, you go, I got fan base from, you know, football. I got a fan base from Hill Street Blues and then, you know, my movies and stuff. And now with this show, but this show is so different as far as the exposure I got. It was like the perfect storm. Um, it was a funny show. None of us knew how funny it was. And, and only looking back, we realized how, how it was crazy. It was, you know, people like old people like me, I have friends who, who you know, who sneak in watching the show, you know. Yeah, I saw your show. Yeah, it's it was pretty funny. They reluctantly admit that it was funny. It was, but it was more than funny. It was clever, and and there were they, there's a difference between funny and clever, and and funny is when you, they do a joke or thing you laugh. Clever is when they you, you do a line and people wait a second and then they laugh. Takes a, a cleverness takes a little more time to sort of settle in, and 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 I, I look back at as sophomoric as that show was, they did some funny stuff, and and it's even funnier now when I watch it, you know, um, years later. I mean, I actually haven't watched any of it in a long, long time, but we shot the show in Montreal, which and we were there for June, July, August for three years in a row. And Montreal is just a beautiful city. It is so, it's just a cool, cool place. And, you know, we're, it's always nice when you go on location. But to go on location for three months, you kind of become a little bit part of the community. You get to make friends. You get to meet people. You get to go to the same restaurants. And, you know, and it, it was just fabulous. The weather's beautiful. My son was, uh, he was probably eight years old, eight or nine years old, and, you know, it, it, we, we just had a, we, we got these little cool little apartments in, in the old port Montreal. And it, it was just a great time. And these young guys I worked with were, were just so, so funny. And, and, and there was, there was an energy that, that a lot had to do with being on location, you know, being on location. is just exciting. If you get in that, you leave in your house, you know, uh, kissing your naggy wife on the, on the forehead and saying you're <laughs> going to work, you know, and then you come home from work and the kids are screaming, you know, it, it's, but on location, it's a very, it's exciting. It's sexy. And place like, like Montreal is really cool. And um, so, and, and, and these, these boys were just, you know, it, it, doing comedy is just, obviously it's more fun. You know, you, you, it's fun to do, funny stuff and laughing and trying not to laugh. You know, you do drama. It's a, you know, drama. You want, you want to kill yourself when you're at the end of the day. You know, some of the stuff that they, that you do, it's, it's not, it's just not fun stuff. You know, Hill Street Blues was a fun show to do because they added a lot of, there's a lot of funny stuff, but it's very serious too. And, um, but this thing is nothing serious about Blue Mountain State. And, um, you know, I, I, it, it the, the evolution of its popularity 
was totally based on Netflix. You know, I, I've done shows that once they were canceled, you'd never see them again. But in this rare show got five years on Netflix and it was introduced to a whole different audience that were too young to watch it when it first came on. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're like, you know, like my, my son's high school friends, you know, they, they started watching it, you know, sneaking, they binge watched it. <laughs> and, and, you know, it was every little 12 year old's wet dream watching this, uh, watching all this sex and stuff and, and again, it was it was funny. The, the, you know, the, these college now again. I meet guys. I'll see you know, early thirty guys, early thirty year old guys. You know, they grew up with the show. It's sort of their Seinfeld, if you will. And they, you know, they see see me, and they they they're, they're reduced to like you know, shaking little boys. You know, <laughs> I I don't know what I did to resonate with these kids, but they think I'm the coolest guy in the world, and they expect me to be. Coach Marty, you know, right. and it's quite boring compared to Marty. But um, you know, it, it's really it's it's funny, and 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 it's it's amazing that they still recognize me. You know, I mean, that show was on over ten years ago. Yeah. So I mean, it's a tribute to how good I look. Even, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. strikingly yeah. handsome. You yeah. got the head of hair. I am so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? If you keep the hair, that sort of offsets all the flabbiness that that hits you. I wanted to keep the hair. The hair didn't want to keep me. <laughs> but um, yeah. So it it was. It's been a. It's been a gift that keeps giving. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, we were all set to do another Blue Mountain State movie. I mean, we were. I had a contract. Everybody had a contract, and I think. The reason we didn't was it was about the time of all these opioid deaths that these young kids, these young teenagers were dying from overdosing with, uh, you know, and, you know, what we did was very farcical, but there was a lot of drugs involved, you know, and a lot of, you know, guys sticking their faces in bowls of cocaine and popping Taking rabies. But at the time, it was funny. But then, you know, in light of everything that was happening, um, I think that it, what we did was just wouldn't be funny in the world we live in today. And, and a lot of things we did. I, You know, the Me Too movement, I don't think, frankly... I think the women got over on the men. The men were the idiots in, in the show. And the girls were taking advantage of the guys on that show. If you look back, it's pretty funny. Yeah. You know, the, the girls are the powerful ones, and the guys are a bunch of bumbling idiots. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it, it was kind of, uh, you know, it's got a, a, a very large cult following, as you can imagine. And, you know, I, it'll never... I mean, you can never do a show like that again, unfortunately. I mean, it, it was funny in, in ways that were, you know, politically incorrect, but, you know, it was a different time. But <laughs> that whole generation still loves it. They still laugh at the same silly crap we did. I always thought maybe there'd be a Coach Marty Daniels spinoff. You know, I got to tell you, and, you know, I, the, the Lionsgate produced the show. 
and I know those guys. I've tried to get the rights to that character, and they will not give them to me. Really? They will not. They, for some reason, and let me tell you, it would be a no-brainer. You know what would be a huge hit? Doing one reunion movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How much fun that would be, bringing everybody back. Where, where are they now? Right. Freaking hysterical. And, you know, you could, you could, you know, make light of all the stupid stuff they did, um, you know, and, and show flashbacks and stuff. For some reason, I, I, you know, look, I've been doing this for over 40 years. If there was ever a slam dunk, if you didn't have a captive audience, it's that show. I mean, and that, that demographic is such a desirable demographic. Literally, it's 18. Yeah. 32 year old and not just guys and girls too oh yeah my daughter's whole college dormitory binge watched that show <laughs> i was i played in the um uh craft nabisco that used to be the dinosaur uh, pro-am it was it was a major for the late the lpga tour and i played in it for you i played in it when dinosaur was the host that's how old i am and um so i think the last year i was playing I was playing with Michelle Wee, and you know who that is. Yep, yep. Old pretty girl. So I found out she was my pro-am partner for the first day. So, you know, I thought that's pretty cool. Big name, you know. So I go up there the first tee, and there's all these bleachers, and they're full of people, and, and she comes running over to me. And she says, oh, I was so excited when I heard I was playing with you. I watched every episode of Blue Mountain State with the football team at Stanford. Well, can you take a picture with me? <laughs> I said, not now, Michelle. I'm uh, in a minute. You know, nice. No, uh, but, you know, that was like kind of a cool moment. Um, but it was, uh, you know, to, to, to be part of it. And, and again, you know, the, the whole, the whole um, uh, streaming technology is is was incredible for that show. I mean, kids. I mean, when it, when it first when it was first on, it was on Tuesday at nine thirty, and if you didn't video it or tape it or TiVo it or whatever the hell right. it was, you you know you waited till the next week to see it. And, it. and if you want to see a rerun, you had to wait till the season was over, and then they would rerun them in the summer. Mm-hmm. Then you put them on like Netflix. And these crazy kids are binge watching like the nine episodes yep. at a time. I mean, I can't tell you how many times they come up and goes, "Oh man, we watched it. Well, I think we watched it like the, all the three seasons twice last night." You know <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, so. Now, did you channel any of your prior coaches when you into your character there at all? Yes, I did. I did. Um, in fact. You know, when they had brought me in to meet with them and audition for the role, uh, I had a football coach. I grew up in New Milford, New Jersey, and I had a football coach, Emil Karlick. Emil was about five foot eight, real well-built guy. I think he played college baseball. Um, wasn't a real good football coach, but... Um, so we were playing, we were all sophomores on the varsity, my sophomore year in high school. And we were playing a team, Saddlebrook, New Jersey. Okay. 
They were 0-7. We were 0-7. So Emil comes into the locker room before the game. I swear to God. He goes, all right, you guys, listen up. You're playing Saddlebrook. They stink. And you stink. <laughs> now we're going to find out who stinks the most. <laughs> and when I was auditioning for the role, all I kept doing running through my head, you know, to get into character, I kept saying, you stink and they stink. And, and the first speech I ever made, as Coach Marty Daniels, I remember it was um, once upon a time, some weak, pathetic pussy. <laughs> Everything. Well, that's right for some people, but not for me, you know. So, so I did Emil from that. And uh, <laughs> I, every time I would, especially every time I would go to work and I would be doing a scene, I would run that speech pattern through my head just to stay sort of, you know, in character. Emil Carler, you stink, they stink. Uh, that's awesome. That is awesome. And you forgot, like, two totally different realms. You were the arguably the best college player, in, in well, best running back in college football history during your time. And now you have a, a cult character, which is transcending – Two and three generations now of fans that have, you know, loved Blue Mountain State. I mean, it's, it's awesome. These kids that I, that are my the fans from the show have no idea that I played football. None. <laughs> no, I have to show them my Super Bowl ring. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Shit! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and to touch back on your, your playing days a little bit, I mean, um, you were the first ever running back to run for 4,000 yards in, a, in collegiate history. Um, you had the Ivy League rushing record for like 585 yards and five touchdowns in a single game. No, 281. 281? Five, five touchdowns. Oh, 281 and five touchdowns. In one game. In one game. Um, and the fastest to 1,000 in five games, right? In five games, right? Fastest to a thousand? Yeah, you know, yeah, I actually uh, would have led the country in rushing three years in a row, but my sophomore year they did by total. And then the next year they did average per game. And, and we only played nine games, and, and the, you know, the, the guy who beat me played like 11. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, it was, it was it was it was just very it was a strange thing, you know. I, like I said, I was a really good athlete, but I never expected that to happen. I never dreamed about having that kind of success. It just happened so fast, and I mean, it was, uh, you know, even looking back at it, I mean, nobody, no one would ever expected expected me to do what I did and I didn't expect to do what I did. I never thought about, you know, it, it was crazy. It was crazy. I, you know, my, my second varsity game was against Rutgers at Rutgers. And the first, the game before that we played Colgate, right? I gained 162 yards against Colgate in my sophomore year, first game. Next game we play, uh, Rutgers 
and I gained 245 yards. The second varsity game, I which broke the <laughs> Cornell single season single game record. Blah, blah blah. Then I then we played Princeton. I gained 150 something yards against Princeton. So we're playing Harvard. You you guys, I don't know if you remember. There there was the great. It was a 68 Harvard Yale game, and Harvard. Oh, yeah. They, they, the headline was Harvard beats Yale 28-28 because they scored all these points with no time left on the clock. <laughs> okay, so this next year, you know, Harvard, uh, they're 21-24 point uh, favorites against this Cornell, young Cornell team. You know, and most of the guys, a lot of the guys were from the team, you know, that great Harvard team from the year before. And I gained 281 yards and scored five touchdowns against Harvard, and we beat them like 42 to something. And in four games, it was like I was like thrust into this national conversation about college football, Sports Illustrated, back of the week as a 19-year-old sophomore. I mean, I broke the Ivy League rushing record. I broke the Ivy League touchdown record. I mean, it was like it, it was – it was overwhelming. It was mind-boggling. I mean, I didn't even know. I, I was just doing it. It wasn't like I. It wasn't. It was just hard for me to process what was happening to me in four weeks. You know, as a young kid who never. I mean, I don't think I'd ever been interviewed before that. You know, in high school or whatever, and and the way people started to treat me and. And they're talking about me and I'm in the New York Times and I'm like, you know, it was crazy. It was crazy. And, and you know, God, it, I, I'm, it's amazing. I'm not more screwed up. I, I was just going to ask you, I was like, how did you stay grounded through that? Ah, uh, I know. You know what? I'm, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I was, I'm sure that I was a bit of a, you know, an asshole, you know, uh, <laughs> times, you know trying to, you know, I mean, it was overwhelming. I was still an insecure guy, you know, I mean, it was, it wasn't like all of a sudden, you know, I was, I was cocky and, 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 you know, I liked girls and, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a heady, it was a heady time. It was just, um, you know, trying to, and, and, you know, trying to be a decent student, you know, at Cornell, you know, yeah. uh, it wasn't easy, you know, really, you know, I did, I had to cheat my ass off to, 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 but I don't remember ever studying. <laughs> I did. I'm sure there were times I did, and maybe my memory's gone. But um, yeah, it, it, it was a it was a crazy, crazy time. And, and and the most I think the most impressive thing about the whole thing is I got better every year. I my stats got better, and then my senior year, I never missed a game. I carried 40 times a game, and I never missed a game. I, I, I wow. think I hurt one game where it was my lowest total. I got a, I got a hit pointer. Otherwise, 
and I didn't even miss the next game. But um, it's to do that and not just not get hurt when you're carrying the ball as many times. And you're the marked guy, you know. Yeah. There, uh-huh. Knew I was going to get the ball. So, uh, and and you know, I was able to survive all that stuff. You know, I it's pretty impressive. You know, it Most was. Definitely. And then you know, you look here and it says runner up for the Heisman Trophy and. But the reality is, you won you won the Maxwell Award, which is the best player in college football. The Heisman's just more of the celebratory, you know, it's the Heisman, it's the flashier of the trophies. But the Maxwell is given to the best college football player. Do you have your Maxwell still? Your Maxwell yeah. Award? Yeah, yeah, I got that. I uh... we're big college football guys, so yeah. when we see that, you know, the Heisman's always like the flashy pick. Now it's always a quarterback, usually. <laughs> I'm going to take you on a little tour. Oh, All nice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to take you my bedroom because I didn't make my bed. Here's my, <laughs> here's my son. Handsome dude. Yep. Takes after his dad. Oh, he, he is a handsome guy. Well, oh, yep. basketball too. Basketball yeah. too. He, he just, he just made, he just made all, he was all conference in football and then he made all region in basketball we just wow. found out last night we went to the banquet and he he probably scored like 10 points all year but he's tenacious okay so can you see this um yep yeah oh yeah that's my uh retired they retired 44 that's the last time i wore that jersey was the last game of the season my nice. senior year and this is my viking jersey this is my first NFL helmet. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Compare that to the helmet your son wears today. Look at this. Yeah. Yep. Oh, my God. The webbing, yeah. No, no wonder I'm a little punchy to this day. <laughs> yeah. This is my jet helmet. There we go. Theirs is the Maxwell Trophy. Oh, nice. That's awesome. See that? Yep. And that's the uh, I, I won the touchdown Washington D.C. touchdown club award a couple of times. And these are my. I don't know if you can see that. Oh yeah. Sports, yeah. Sports Illustrated back of the week. I was the Ivy League player of the uh, era. Wow. Wow. And this is my Cornell diploma. <laughs> this is a little football they. Gave us if you played in the Super Bowl, they sent one to your you and your high school. Oh, it's awesome! That is. Um, this is when I was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Do you Man. see that? That is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. And this is me and Arnold Palmer and my son when he was. <laughs> wow, that is cool. I see something else that's cool. This is my wife's Peloton. I had a <laughs> Look at this one. This is my favorite picture. Oh, wow. You and Joe, Joe D. Joe, that is awesome. Man, that is awesome. That is awesome. That was when we were at, we were at uh, the Little Sisters of the Poor. We, I used to do this, this little fundraiser with the Little Sisters of the Poor in New York and they were honoring him. Here's a cool picture. I'm going to show you. I don't know if you can see it. Yep. Okay, there's Joe here. 
Yep. Can you see that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mike Lucci, great linebacker for the Detroit Lions, and Dan Pastorini, yeah. quarterback for the Oilers, There's and you. me at a golf tournament. That's awesome. And now, here's a little... My wife's Peloton shoes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a montage of Hill Street Blues that uh, my somebody put together for me. Can you see that? Okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. It's pretty cool. And there's the... Uh, here. I'm going to make you nauseous from moving around like this. <laughs> this is the jersey... Can you see that? Yeah, yeah. Yep. That's the jersey I got shot in and killed with the fake blood on it. Oh, that's wild. That is that awesome. Is awesome. And that's the script and the page of the script where I got shot. Oh, that is crazy. That's cool. That is cool. Yeah, so this is my little, uh, yeah, this is a, that's my college football Hall of Fame plaque. Man. That's amazing. And that's it. That's my life, man. Uh, that is all. Now, did you get to keep any of your Blue Mountain State uh, swag that you wore? I figured uh, your son would want that stuff. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, it was, I didn't think we were going to get canceled. So I wasn't like, um, you know, stealing shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, um, it was kind of, uh, you know, when we didn't get, when we didn't get renewed, I was shocked. I was shocked. I remember where I was. I was in uh, was in an Italian restaurant. You ever hear Rayo's? Yeah, uh, it's a famous Italian restaurant. Little place in Spanish Harlem. They have their own tomato sauce. You probably see it in the market. Oh yeah, I have. I've definitely seen the jars. Yeah, it, it, the place is amazing. It's it goes back. It, it's crazy. Anyway, we're having dinner in there, and I remember getting a call. And they said, uh, they didn't pick up the show. What? I mean, we were, we were ready to go. It was like, right. it was a shocking, it was shocking. It, 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 Netflix, not Netflix, but it was um, Spike TV and Lionsgate couldn't come to a deal. And then we ended up doing a uh, um, crowdfunding deal with... Yeah. Um, to do the movie. Mm-hmm. Yep, I helped fund that. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was fun. We did that movie. And then, uh, you know, then we were uh, getting ready to do another movie. And we, they just went silent on us. Never heard anything back from them. It was, it was really very strange. Very strange. I, I mean, I, we had a script and the whole thing. You know, as I explained, I think it was uh, kind of uh, around the time that our country lost its sense of humor, you know. We, we yeah, we didn't know what to, we couldn't laugh at anything anymore. Nothing was funny, um, which is unless it was mean. <laughs> yeah, we on our normal regular show we do uh, what we call the GMAC throwback every week. That's where we're trying to find where our country took that turn exactly. You know, we're just we're going all over. You know, we we stop in a different year and we just kind of go through stats and and what the best movies are and best songs are. But we really are trying to dial in where our country exactly took that turn, you know, and what year it was exactly. Because uh, you're right. A lot of people, all of a sudden, everything was offensive and you couldn't be it, funny wasn't funny anymore. Um, yeah, well, that's, um, 
I think it's kind of a recent thing, you know. I mean, I don't, I, I, yeah, I don't, I, I, it is a recent kind of thing. And I don't know where the, the turn came. I think we, uh, you know, I just think the, the concept of, um, you know, socialism changed the balance of government. And, and you know, some people, you know, I'm old school and I, you know, I, I uh, don't try to hide it, you know. I mean, that doesn't mean I don't care about other people. I, I want to help other people, but you know, I I I think uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm proof of the American dream, you know. And, and and if you don't if you don't give people people are coming to this country because of the American dream, you know. People these immigrants coming to this country are not coming here to make minimum wage. They're coming because they want to be rich right. and great lives. I mean, you're not yep. coming, you know, you don't want to just get by. You wouldn't do it just to get by. You have dreams, the American dream. You know, I saw so many immigrants when I lived in LA who, you know, came over and started businesses and bought racehorses. And, you know, these are gardeners <laughs> who built these businesses and, and that's the American dream. Right. You take that away from people. I don't, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. There's, I think there's too many people who, who want it, want, want, want it all. And, and I think that's great. And, 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 you know, if you work hard and you can have it all, you can, well, you know, again, we talked about earlier, you got to get lucky a little bit, but there's still that dream. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, I don't think there's, you have that if you have a, you're too dependent on government, you know, when they're controlling your dream, you know, that's um, right. So I, you know, I don't, you know, at my age, I'm not, you know, there's nothing that happens politically that's going to affect me. <laughs> really? I mean, yeah, I, you're I, right. You're I, right. I live in a bubble. I don't, uh, you know, I got a great friends, got a great golf course. I go fishing. I, I cook. I love to eat. And I'm in this little bubble, you know, and, and, and I, I have enough money. Thank goodness. And, uh, you know, so there's, there, there's politics, you know. I think some of the stuff they do is stupid, but, you know, it doesn't affect me. It's not going to affect right. me at all. I think it'll – I worry a little bit about my son because he's so young. He's going to be 19 years old, and I, you know, I just hope it never – you know, I want him to have a, you know, a healthy life, great friends like I did, and um, go. he's going away to Cornell, you know, and, and that's, uh, that's going to be interesting. So uh, – Yeah, it gets interesting. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, but you know, it's, uh, you know what? I just had my college roommate die. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. About three days ago. He had had a, a very aggressive form of cancer and he was very, very successful attorney in New York and boom, he was gone in three months. And, you know, it, it's, it's at this stage in my life, you, that's happening more and more. You know, you see, it. my mother's 94, you know, and, God and bless. That's, uh, God, yeah, but you know, you, you, every, every phone time you get a phone call, you're going, you know, yeah. so, uh, but, but it's, it's, uh, it's something it's happening. Obviously it happens more and more when you're at my age, but it also makes you 
kind of, you know, look at things differently. You know, when you're 40 and somebody dies, you know, you, you, you don't, you don't personalize it at all. You know, you just, ah, oh, it's so sad. What's next? You know, but when you get to be my age and you, you know, you see your heroes dying. I mean, I, I, I guys who I've watched when I was a kid, you know, even, even though they're 10, 15 years older than you, you still, it's part of, uh, you know, it's part of who you are, you know, your, your right. sport idols and your TV, you know, and I, I worked in Hollywood with some, you know, people who are, you know, passing away or just, or just affected your life, you know, you know, who you looked up to or you liked their style and you didn't even have to know them, but when they die, it, it makes you, um, kind of consider, think about your own mortality, you know? So every time somebody passes away, I go on Amazon and I buy myself a bunch of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> What's the last thing you bought? I, I'm a shoe, crazy shoe person. So I buy shoes. Um, I'm a thrifty shopper, but I, you know, I, I'm a bit of a clothes horse. I'm a bit of a fop. You know, I, I like to dress up. Every day's Halloween for me. Um, <laughs> I notice you love to rock a scarf on occasion. I've seen plenty of celebrity of uh, like paparazzi style photos where you have a nice scarf on. You know what? I have very, very low resistance to cold. And I think the scarf is the greatest invention ever made. You know, when my, my like neck and chest are warm, the rest of me is fine. So I, I, I like scarves. The, you know, they, 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 you don't have to wear a big heavy coat as long as you have a scarf. <laughs> I'm an old school guy. Now, what's your golfing handicap? My golf handicap is like uh, 10, 9 or 10. Oh, nice. You're right there on that single-digit cusp. We, uh, we've been known to partake in some golf adventures ourselves. And some hacking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, 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 uh, the, the great thing about golf is you never – you know, it's you always think you can get better, and uh, I mean, I guess that's just uh, the fun part of it. And you do hit great shots, and you go, "Wow!" But you know, it's the most frustrating thing in the world. You know, I, I mean, I, I practice, I try to get good, I try to get better, and you some days you just go, "Wow, I got it!" And then the next day you suck. You know, you're worse. <laughs> than so accurate. That's it's absolutely so extremely accurate. accurate. That's that's usually when the you crack the first beer or something because at that point the game is uh, you got to keep it fun. Yeah, that's why you appreciate what Phil Mickelson does. I mean, to the, those even the pros, but Phil is a great example. You know, to do something like that four days in a row and perform like that is like amazing. And and I, I can't perform like that four holes in a row. You know, so. Right. It's, uh, you got to admire those guys. Well, listen, I mean, we've had such an, this is, this has been an absolute awesome time for us as far as talking football with an all time, uh, great and talking about Blue Mountain State and in your career. And the one thing that comes across as you as a person is you are extremely grateful for everything you've gotten in life. And, uh, Thank you for coming on today. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. I, um, you know, I, uh, I, because I have a son, you know, I try to teach him, you know, he, he's lived a much better life as a, you know, high school kid than I did. 
and most like most people did. So, you know, I, I, I try to teach him how to be grateful and, you know, don't take anything for granted. And, um, you know, and he just thinks I'm a total idiot, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I keep grinding away at it. And it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it sort of keeps me, you know, keeps me grounded a little bit. You know, when I preach to him and I try to, you know, just make sure that I'm not doing anything counterintuitive, you know, I'm very aware of how I act around him. So, well, he's got some great genes for sure. And I have a feeling that. There's a definite chance we could uh, we we could run into you this fall up in the uh, football season. Cool. Well, make sure you got, you got all my info. If you're if you're going to be up there, let me know. I'd like to meet you guys in person. Definitely. Yeah, that'd be that awesome. Would be great. Thank you for your time. Yeah, we appreciate and, uh, it, man. Well, uh, listen. What's in, even if if we even if we can't make it up there, which we we're definitely going to try to do. Love to have you back on once the college football season starts to talk about uh, some Cornell football. Perfect. Perfect. Sounds good. Sounds right. like a plan. Sounds All right. good. Have a great week, guys. You Thanks, too. Thank you. Thank you. Too. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. All right. So that was legendary yeah. football player, actor. Yep. Uh, dad. Yeah. Ed Marinero. Super, super grateful guy. Yes. You could tell everything that he's accomplished in his life. Um, he's happy, and he's happy and thankful for everything that he's gotten through life, and. Listen, perfect example, like he said, you, you roll with the punches, you deal with the hands that you're dealt, and hopefully you get a little luck along the way. Right. He he contributes a lot of it to luck, but, I mean, it's when opportunity meets preparation. Yeah. And he was always prepared. Always prepared. You know, and, um, you know, that's it. Yeah. And, you know, again, people that say, oh, it's such a great college career, but not an NFL career. Listen. You go and you hang in the NFL for six or seven seasons, and then you can come back and talk about what's a right. good career, what's not a good career, and, and win the Maxwell Award, and you know, playing two Super Bowls. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I think we we talk about this all the time on the show. People don't they underestimate when they say you know they try to justify whatever yeah. about an NFL any any player well, to make or themselves any, any feel level, better. and it's like. You've never been there, no. <laughs> you know, no. Listen, and if you're a, if you're a, it just will break down the football level. If you're uh, used to being an uh, like, a, like a forty carry a game guy, which is, I can't even fathom that in today's football. Derrick Henry and probably, durable and durable. Derrick Henry is probably the closest thing we have to that in the NFL these days. How then you go into a system that plays totally away from your strengths, right? And you have to adapt. And make the most of it that you can. Then he says he goes to the Jets. He finds his niche. He has back-to-back 100-yard games. And boom, he injures his foot, which essentially, he said, you know, basically took his career. Right. So. But being in the Jets gave him his other career because he was with Joe Willie. That's right. And Joe Willie introduces him to people. They go out there. Now now he's in Hollywood. Now there's that. Maybe there's that little stroke of luck that he needed to right. get to the next part of life. But it's one of those things. If he doesn't go to the Jets, does he end up in Hollywood? Exactly. So, you know, it's it's cool. It's wild. And, I mean, to me, you know what this interview meant to me. Absolutely. Because I'm a huge Blue Mountain, Blue Mountain State nut. Yep. And I told you from the first interview I played 
when he said some weak pathetic pussy. That's awesome. You got to say it. So it was perfect. So that right there, forever, I said I would want to coach Blue Mountain State. Oh yeah, because I would want to coach for Marty Daniels. And we, like you said, we we've always gotten something out of an interview. Well, maybe we didn't get like a bit of information, but we got a tour. Listen, house. We saw his wife's Peloton. We did, and her and the Peloton (laughs) shoes. shoes. So listen. No, I mean, look, I mean, it, when we put this on YouTube, uh, it's going to go on YouTube for all of our regular uh, Spotify listeners or whatnot. When you go on YouTube and you watch this, to see the helmet he yeah. played in in yeah. in, in uh, Minnesota, and you wonder why guys have CTE and then and, then then in in, bra- in you know issues as they it's got older. Literally a webbing. Yep, that's it. It's a string web. That's all. And two ear ear pads. Yeah, yeah. It kept it kept your noggin slamming back and forth inside the helmet. That's all that did. Yeah. So I mean, what what an amazing, awesome, gracious, yes. uh with his time, uh person he and, was. And this is one to where if we can in the fall, would love to meet up. Oh, definitely. And you know, I didn't even get to this part. ESPN ranked him one of their top 150 yeah, football was, players uh, of all time. Yeah, of all time. Of all time. Now, you, yeah. you, the NFL only had, you like, there's there's a stat where it's like, you know, I don't know, I'm making up fictitious numbers now. There's like 3 million kids play high school football in the, in the country. Oh, but it whittles And down. then it goes down to like 100,000 yeah. play, not even, probably like 30,000 play college football, and then like, what, 3,000 play in the NFL? Yeah. So to think he's one of the 150 best ever. Ever to do it. Ever, uh, it's it's amazing, and and again, the Maxwell Award for people that do not know, the Maxwell Award is the best player in college football. It's not the, you know how like uh, league MVPs are usually the most popular yeah. pick, not necessarily the most valuable. The Maxwell Award is the best. The Heisman's kind of like the flashy pick, yeah, but the Maxwell Award is the best player in football, and, and he won that. He won that in Cornell. And was still runner up for the <laughs> Heisman. Heisman. So, right. you know, at Cornell, which I, I, you know, you look at Ivy League, Ivy League football now. They they de-emphasized football right around after the time that that Ed left, right? Uh, Cornell. So it wasn't. It's not a powerhouse now, but back then, Ivy League football was just as good as your yes. modern day Ohio States and your Auburns and your Clemsons. They right. were and, that good. And Army back. In yeah. the day, you know what I mean, like that. Navy so, yeah. Staubach. I mean, yep. you know, they were between the arm, armed forces and the um, Ivy League. They were that was great quality football, right? Yep. He didn't do it at he didn't do it at Blue Mountain State. No, he did it at you know a top level program. So it's uh, and it, listen, he came out with a really good education. You come out with Cornell, yeah, on a diploma. It you know, and and for his son, that's big too. Yeah, and you can tell, you know. You know, the kid obviously has great athletic genes with his mom and dad. Right. And was a two-sport star in... I think three. I think lacrosse also. Oh, lacrosse as well. I did, I did read that, yes. So a three-sport a three sport star and maintain the grades to get into a Yeah, Cornell. he had like a 3.7 GPA, which is huge. Yes. You know, so so to see all that and, and you know, I'm it's, 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 it's exciting. So... Um, this to me, I'm just sitting here in awe because <laughs> I, the act, you know, the character I loved, but the guy is just—he's well, one of us. He's a he blue-collar guy, loves football, down to earth, 
can mix it up. And if to me, it felt like it was three guys sitting around having a beer bullshit. Yeah, it was, it was again, a comfortable conversation. And, uh, yeah, I, I would love – I can't – again, you do the bucket list stuff. Imagine sitting down with a Maxwell winner watching a college football game. Yeah, hey, listen, we get up there this fall. I have, I'm going to definitely be up there this fall because Jern's, uh, yeah, she's assigned to the football team. Yep. She got her assignment, which is awesome. Yep. So and I'll again, be up we'll there stay in touch with him as far as we said we'd bring him on once the season started. And if we can end up with Cornell tickets and he's going to be there, then I have a got to watch grandma around him, though. Yeah, I have a good <laughs> feeling we'll be able to, uh, to catch up. So, yeah, bring us home, buddy. All right, for Ed Marinaro and GMAC, this has been the Outlaw Blitz interview podcast. And as always, take it deep.